Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word, for the eternal word. You are the word. The written word, Father, we praise you for keeping it over the centuries. And today, Lord, as we hear it read and hear it preached again, I ask that you will open everyone's heart, each one of us, Lord, that we will hear, that we will take in the truths that you expound, that we will come to know you more this day through learning a little more of you, a little more of your provision, a little more of how you love each one of us. And Father, we just ask that your blessing will be poured out upon each one of us at this time. In your precious name, we ask this. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in a cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, Thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. 
Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Exodus 17, 1-7. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, travelling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarrelled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. Uh, I'm just going to pray for us once more before we look at God's word together. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, please forgive our thankless and grumbling hearts. Please fill us with Christ, who is the true bread from heaven, the living water, who always satisfies. Forgive us for going to other places for satisfaction and to fill our hunger. May we come back again today and be filled with him. Thank you, Lord, for all your blessings to us. Give us a heart of thankfulness. We ask that you might do this within us by your spirit, even now as we come and hear and submit ourselves to your word. And we pray that for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I um, did a bit of an experiment this week. Um, I, uh, I sort of thought preparing for today, I would make notes of any time I saw grumbling or complaining or being offended or irritated, which would have been quite fun, except the subject of my experiment was myself. Uh, and I realised what a whinger I am. <laughs> um, I won't go into the gory details, but I was surprised at the strong spirit of grumbling that came over me when I found out that all the chocolate in our house had been eaten. Uh, of course, I put it like that, right? Um, it came over me. I put it that way to kind of distance it from myself, right? as if it's not really part of me. Uh, we can often talk like that, can't we? Something just came over me, 
as if it's this thing wafting randomly around that suddenly lands on me temporarily and then wafts onto someone else, but it's not really me. Of course, that's not really true, is it? The truth is much more sobering. Jesus says, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. See what he's saying? It's not that these things come over us. They come out of us. They come out of us. They're symptoms of a deeper heart problem. They reveal something true about us. So what does our grumbling reveal? Well, before we dive into this passage, it is, we need to say there is a type of complaining in the Bible that we're actually invited into. Um, you see it in the Psalms especially, an honesty with God about your struggle and your pain and a kind of laying that before him, pleading with him to help. So places like Psalm 142 should be on the screen there. Uh, it says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaints. Before him I tell my trouble. So there's a kind of pouring out of your, your heart to, to God that's welcomed and that you should be doing, that we should be doing. But there's another type of grumbling that reveals and kind of wells up from a heart that is faithless, that is not trusting. See, Psalm 142, it's actually in, the, in, in all that complaints, it trusts in God still. But there is a kind of grumbling, a kind of complaining that's faithless. Uh, and that doesn't trust or rest in the faithfulness and goodness and provision of God. And that's what's on view here in this section of Exodus, from the end of chapter 15 right through to um, chapter 18. Across these chapters, what you get is a series of trials that, the, uh, that face this people who've just come out of Egypt. Uh, we're only going to focus on a few of them in chapter uh, end of chapter 15 and chapter, through to chapter 17. Um, but what, what you see in, in the sections we're focusing in on you see this contrast between the faithless, grumbling hearts of the people of Israel and the gracious, faithful heart of God. I'm going to try and see those as we weave our way through this passage. Uh, as, um, as Maureen mentioned, you looked last week at the incredible way in which God brought Israel out of, out of slavery in Egypt. It starts, and um, what we're looking at today actually starts just after that, starts after these amazing weeks. So Yahweh... The Lord, remember, the one who is who he is. He brought his people up out of Egypt in the most spectacular way. He rescued them from the misery of slavery. They'd come through the sea. They'd had their enemies defeated before their eyes. And remember from last week, they, they'd stood on the other side of the Red Sea and sung his praises. Uh, they sung praise to the Lord who was their strength and their defense and their salvation. In that song, they declared... In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. So you get to this point, right, in the Exodus story, and you think, it's all up from here, right? This is amazing. It's smooth sailing, right? They'd been saved. They'd been freed. And now they leave Egypt. They're journeying towards the land God had promised them. Life is going to be plain sailing for them. Not exactly. Uh, it, um, this is, uh, we didn't have this read, and if you have your Bibles open, we'll be doing a flip, bit of flicking, so uh, helpful, it will be on the screen, but always helpful to bring a Bible with you if you, if you can, uh, so you can kind of look for yourself and flick around for where we're looking at. Uh, so 
Uh, we're actually going to start at the end of chapter 15. So straight after, straight after what you looked at last week with Chris. Actually, just three days after they'd that miraculous salvation through the Red Sea, three days after, and they're overcome by thirst. They find water, but it's undrinkable. So in 15 verse 24, remember this, it's just, just three days after this incredible thing that happened. They, the people grumble against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Now, on one level, that's understandable, right? Three days is about the longest humans can go without water. But what's interesting here is the instinct of this people. They've just been miraculously saved by God. They know he's here for them. They've seen that demonstrated in the most spectacular way. So you'd expect their instinct, the kind of first thing that came to their mind as they faced this trial, would be to go to him, right? To ask him for help. But that's not what they do. Their first instinct is to grumble against God's leader, Moses. Now, there's, there's lots to reflect on here. Um, it's very possible to be saved by God on Sunday, filled with thankfulness and praise at his amazing grace, and be grumbling against him by Wednesday. <laughs> because life hasn't gone as you thought it would. That is actually really important for new Christians to know and to be prepared for. It's, actually, it's important for all Christians, though, isn't it? You can be singing God's praise on a Sunday and also grumbling against him on a Wednesday. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you are immune from difficulty in this life. It does mean that God is with you through difficulty and is even using trials that come, those trials, to strengthen you and grow you. That's what's going on. That's actually what's going on here. It's really important to see this. Why are Israel in this position in the first place? Why are they in the desert without water? Because God led them there. Remember the, the kind of cloud that goes before them? God, God had led them there. God had led them there. He was sovereign over this situation. He was their provider. And we're going to find out in chapter 16, just a, a few verses later, that he was actually testing them. Not like a kind of school test, whether you pass, like, but testing them like, uh, like a father, training his children, teaching them to trust him. How will you grow in a deep trust in God? And not just to trust him in theory, not just to trust him when your emotions tell you to trust him, when you're feeling good, not just to trust him when things are going well in your life, but to really know him as your firm anchor, your unshakable rock. How does that happen? You see it again and again through the Bible. It happens th through suffering, through trial through testing. And if you know someone um, who has that kind of weighty, humble, gentle, joyful faith, and if you don't, just get to know a few people in our church because there are plenty here. If you know someone like that, you can be sure that's a gold 
that's been refined by fire. That behind that is a lot of suffering and that in his kindness, God has used that to grow faith, deep trust, real trust. He wants this new nation that he's brought out of Egypt, he wants them to, this people of promise, he wants to grow them so that they would trust him. And he leads them into the wilderness where there's no water. And he tests them. But they don't go very well, do they? Um, and that's what we've seen. But there's another really key thing here uh, in Exodus. It's not just their kind of failure to trust God in the wilderness. A really key, the really key thing is how God responds to their grumbling. Um, you kind of expect him, maybe because we put ourselves in God's position or something, right? You kind of expect him to get angry and punish them straight away, right? But he doesn't do that. He doesn't punish them. In his grace, he provides for them. So, sort of counterintuitive or countercultural. Or... I was trying to think of an example of this. Uh, do you remember a couple of weeks ago that we heard about a... Um, a missionary doctor in Africa who was freed from being enslaved for seven years, I think it was, by an Al-Qaeda group or something like that. I don't know all the details. But I was thinking, imagine, like, imagine if you were in that kind of situation and suddenly, after years and years and years of slavery, you'd been freed. And then on the plane trip home, you started to complain about the in-flight entertainment service or something. You know, like... <laughs> but that's... I mean, the, 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 the two don't match, do they? And that's kind of, you know, that's kind of what you think about what's going on here, right? They, they've been f- freed from slavery, but their hearts are full of grumbling. But how does God respond? He miraculously provides, wonderfully provides. So in, in chapter 15, there's this bitter water that they can't drink, sort of echoes the bitterness of their own hearts. Uh, but God uh, straight away provides, he, he uh, allows Moses to kind of, um, clear the water so that it is drinkable. And then he leads the whole nation to um, this, this incredible oasis where there's abundant water for them to drink. So he provides for them then. Fast forward a couple of months, so that was just a few days. Fast forward a couple of months, and Israel are grumbling again in chapter 16. But this time it's not about water, it's about food. Uh, they've eaten their way through their supplies. The whole community grumble against Moses and Aaron. That's what we heard read. But notice how they view their time in Egypt. They kind of see it through rose-coloured glasses in verse 3. The Israelites said to them, "If and it kind of catastrophizes. this is what we do right when we grumble, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. If you've been reading Exodus up to this point, you'll know that when they were actually in Egypt, they cried out to God because of the horror of their oppression. But here, they forget all about the whips. They forget all about that terrible massacre of the children. Um, Egypt, they, they kind of look back on Egypt and think it's a place of relaxed barbecues every night, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's the deceptive nature of sin, isn't it? It actually makes us miserable and enslaves us. But it's so tempting to look back on with rose-coloured glasses... Uh, to kind of long for it like the, the Israelites longed to go back to Egypt. 
to think if only I wasn't a Christian, life would be so much easier. I would be happier in the world I left, where I sat around every night eating pots of meat. <laughs> That's what Israel are thinking about Egypt. They, wanted to, they actually wanted to go back into slavery. It's, they're, they're kidding themselves, right? They're kidding themselves. They're dece- deceiving themselves. And not only that, I mean, what a slap in the face to God this is. The God who had rescued them. But again, notice what God does, how he responds with incredible grace. Verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down, I can't get to that point and think, I know what he's about to say, I'll rain down fire, you know. What is this? I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Instead of raining down judgment, he rains down bread, all the bread they could eat. He is their faithful father, their rich provider. But do you see what God's doing here? He's not just feeding their stomachs. He's doing something actually much more important. He's training their hearts. He's not just feeding their stomachs. He's training their hearts to trust him, to depend on him. Why is, it, why is it set up like this? So it says every morning you go out and gather, right? Just enough for that day except on day six where you gather enough for two days. Why does God set it up like that? I mean, it would have probably been easier just to store it up week at a time. Or why not go the whole way, right? This is a miracle after all. Why doesn't he just put the bread straight into their stomachs, you know, whenever they get hungry? Or, like, why does God do it this way? Well, at the end of his life, Moses looks back on this period. You read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And here's what he reflects as he looks back on this. He says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now that's very interesting, isn't it? He's not, he's not see what's, what is really underneath all of this? It's not just providing food for their stomachs. He's, he's actually training their hearts, their, he's teaching them to depend on him in everything on his word. It wasn't just about keeping people alive. He wanted them to depend on him day by day in every circumstance, to trust his word, to know that he is their gracious, compassionate God who is slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. So the manna, it was just really a reminder, right? God could have done it any other kind of way, but it was a symbol. It pointed to something else. It pointed to God's faithfulness, to his redemption, his word of promise. Um, it, and actually, this is what Jesus, I think, picks up on. If, you know the Lord's Prayer? We, say, we pray it together regularly. Uh, Jesus teaches his disciples to ask God to give us each day our daily bread. And that's not just saying, please keep us alive. It's saying something much deeper than that. It's asking God 
to work within us a daily dependence on him in all things as our provider, as to recognise that and to depend on him consciously day by day. Okay, so that's um, Exodus 16. Uh, just quickly, there's one more scene of grumbling that we did here as well in chapter 17. So this time they're thirsty. So they've got plenty of food now. They're thirsty again. And they just keep ramping things up. So they've gone from grumbling in chapter 15 to grumbling and pining for Egypt in chapter 16, because that was what was going on. It seems like they just get, keep getting worse and worse. Uh, now in chapter 17, they're full on arguing and quarrelling with Moses. And they're putting God to the test, it says, um, in 17 verse 2. Um, it's, like, it's like the kind of grumbling is contagious, spreading out, getting worse and worse. Uh, you, you see that, I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? If you see the kind of impact that grumbling has, you see it in all kinds of communities. You even see it in churches. Um, misery loves company. And a grumbler loves to bring other people in on their grumbling. And it can be a real problem, actually. A sin that, unless repented of, can lead to great division and harm in the body of Christ. The New Testament has lots of warnings against grumbling. Um, so places like Philippians 2, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Uh, 1 Peter 4, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So it's a problem. It was a problem for them. It's a, it's a problem for you, isn't it? For all of us. Um, but this, this scene in chapter 17, it doesn't just expose the depths of the Israelites grumbling, and maybe of ours too. It actually points us really powerfully, wonderfully, towards the cure for our grumbling hearts. The cure. Uh, we, we read it earlier, chapter 17. Again, God richly provides. Mo Moses cries out to him. In verse 5, God calls all the elders together. It's kind of, it's kind of like a, a court scene that's being set up, actually. So Moses is like a judge with his, the staff of judgment that he used in Egypt. Um, the people are on one side and God and this rock on the other. And in verse 6, Moses brings his staff down again. In, not this time, again, not in punishment on the people, but on the rock, out of which flows abundant water and life and blessing for this people. And we're told that in verse 7, Moses called the place Massa, which means testing, and Meribah, which means quarrelling, as a reminder, uh, because the Israelites quarrelled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? That's really kind of the underlying fear isn't it? The question that's driving, is God really among us? Can he really provide? Uh, can we really trust him? Not just when we're walking through the Red Sea, but when we're thirsty and hungry in the desert. So what do we make of all of this? Um, I hope, as we've been reading through, uh, for many of us, there'll be all kinds of threads that we are drawing that lead straight to Jesus. They come together so richly in him. Is the Lord among us or not? If you know Jesus, you know the answer to that question. Finally, decisively. Yes. Yes. He is the Lord Yahweh among us. Emmanuel, 
among us with power to save and guide his people to his eternal promised land. But not just that. He is not only the true God among us, he also comes to us as the true human, the true Israel. So you remember that scene from the Gospels where Jesus goes out into the wilderness for 40 days. That's, that should ring some bells, shouldn't it? He's, re, he's actually reenacting Israel's 40 years in the wilderness. But instead of grumbling against God, instead of giving in to temptation to the evil one, he actually quotes Moses from Deuteronomy, that quote we looked at before. He quotes that, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See what's going on there? Jesus passes the test, the trial where Israel failed, where we all fail. He perfectly trusts his Father's provision. And the amazing thing is that his perfect righteousness, his complete trust, is freely given to all who come to him. All who come to him. Our faithfulness wavers. Your faithfulness wavers. It does. His never does. And we are covered by his righteousness. But there's even more here, more threads to, to join uh, to Jesus. It's not just that Jesus goes before us as the one who perfectly trusts his Father to provide manna in the wilderness. That's what you see in that scene in the Gospels, the, the, the testing in the wilderness. It's not just that, though. He himself is the manna. He himself is the manna. That's what you get in this incredible chapter of John's Gospel, John chapter 6. This amazing truth that Jesus declared. So he's, he's just fed a multitude of people in a wilderness place, the feeding of the 5,000. Again, echoes of Exodus 16. Uh, this great huge group of people, hungry and miraculously fed. And a little later, this crowd comes to Jesus and, wants, and sort of wants him to feed them again or do some, perform another miracle. And he responds by saying, I'm going to give you something far better than bread that will just spoil again. I'm going to give you food that lasts forever. I'm going to give you myself. Uh, John 6 verse 35, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That manner in the wilderness, it was always a sign pointing to a deeper provision of God. And here it is, standing right in front of the people, Jesus is not saying he'll satisfy our stomachs. He's saying he'll satisfy our souls. The deeper hunger, the deeper thirst that drives us. We are made for a relationship of love and trust with our God. And in Jesus, that's what we get. That's what we get. But if you know John chapter 6, you keep reading on. And if you're aware of what's happened in Exodus, there's probably no surprises here the people begin to grumble again. Um, as Jesus is saying all of this to them, uh, they grumble. And Jesus says, 
stop grumbling, <laughs> stop grumbling. But he does something even much better than that, actually. He, d- he does say, we need to, sometimes we just need to hear that, just stop grumbling. But Jesus does something much richer and better than that, actually, on top of that. He doesn't just say stop grumbling because the ultimate answer to our grumbling hearts is not just to stop doing it, but to fill our hearts with Christ, with the real eternal food that satisfies, so that grumbling just becomes unthinkable, actually. And here's how Jesus puts it later on in chapter 6, 6 verse 54. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Again, he's not talking literally literally there. He's, He's saying, I am the full, final provision from God to sustain and satisfy and guard and guide you. And the only way to have this bread of life is through me, through coming to me and by faith receiving it from me. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what we symbolically do when we share together in the Lord's Supper, and we're going to do that soon. That symbol points us, doesn't it, to this reality, the true bread of life, the one who satisfies our deepest hunger and quenches our deepest thirsts. I have one more thread um, that's just really wonderful, I think. So stay with me. One more thread to pull together before we wrap things up. What about that rock in Exodus 17? Do you notice that as we, as we read through? Maybe you talked about it in home groups, that rock. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says something really interesting. He says that that rock was Christ. That rock was Christ. Get the point? He is the true rock struck and broken by the rod of God's justice who pours out the living water of his Spirit into our hearts so we can cry, Abba, Father. We can get in on his relationship with his Father as ours so that we can learn to trust like he trusts his Father. So what about you, friends? I just want to finish with that kind of self-reflection, I guess. Is there, do you notice within yourself a seed of bitterness or grumbling? Um, I imagine there is because you're human and you're not Jesus. You know, like, um, if you think there isn't, you're probably a bit self-deceived. You're not Jesus. But if you're a Christian, you are in Jesus. United to him by faith. So everything that is his, his perfect relationship to his father is now yours. And everything that is yours, all of your sin, is now his taken and dealt with on the cross. And by his spirit, he wants to renew you and fill you up so that you never hunger or thirst again to lead you from grumbling to gratitude. 
And if you're not yet a Christian, this is what Jesus offers you and holds out to you today. Your heart is restless. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. You're looking for satisfaction and rest and peace and can't find it anywhere else. But Jesus offers it to you and will give it freely if you ask. It doesn't mean an easy life without trial or testing. But it does mean he is with you. And he will use trials to teach you, to train you, to trust him, to find your life in him, to feed on him in your heart with thanksgiving. <laughs> with thanksgiving. We're going to do that in a moment when we share the Lord's Supper. Um, but before that, I'll pray, and then we'll sing in response. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, what, what a privilege it is to know Jesus, to be found in him, the one who perfectly trusted you, his Father, whose perfect obedience is now ours. Our God, we pray that this day that you might train us with whatever's going on in our lives. Keep us from that kind of seed of bitterness taking root and grumbling. Lord, help us instead to keep coming back to fixing our eyes on Jesus and all that is ours in him so that we might well up within ourselves a deep thankfulness, a deep thankfulness. Lord, fill our hearts, we pray, with true and living bread, with eternal and overflowing living water. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.